All right, so we are in week two of our series called Relationship Resolutions. We are starting off the new year, resolving to have the right kind of relationships, first and foremost with the Lord, and then also with each other. So tonight we're talking about searching for your soulmate, searching for your soulmate. Last week, we talked about guarding your heart. Naturally, human beings follow their heart, and that's kind of what the world says. Follow your heart and just, you know, you do you and find your truth, all that stuff. But we all naturally do that. Instead, the Bible says, well, hold on. Just because you feel something, feel a certain way, doesn't mean that you always have to embrace it. In fact, it can be dangerous. The Bible says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's what, that's what the proverb says. So instead of just following our heart wherever it leads, we can be critical about the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts that we have and direct our lives under what the Bible says, what God says, knowing that that's gonna lead to life. That's what's actually gonna be able to give us fulfillment. So we're really cautioning against what is called idolatry, which is worshiping something other than God. And I think that's really the idol, the big idol, especially for 20-somethings in our culture today, is that people put such a huge emphasis on relationships. They don't just make it you know, a good thing. They make it the ultimate thing. It's a thing that you worship. It's a thing that defines who you are. It's a thing that you wrap your imagination around. You, you completely steer the course of your life in the direction of the person that you want to find. So we were cautioning against that. And first and foremost, you have to put God in his proper place and then you're able to properly seek everybody else. Now tonight, we're gonna be talking about what kind of person should you be looking for and how do you find that person? And uh, this, I do think is applicable to both single married and people that are in dating relationships. So let's pray and then we'll talk about One last reminder, usually we do verse by verse Bible teachings. Tonight is not one of those times. It's a topical teaching, really focusing on this one topic and seeing what the scriptures seem to say about it. So let's pray. Lord God, we just pray tonight you would help us to have wisdom from heaven as we navigate this very difficult issue. Uh, A lot of people um, are disheartened because they feel like they're never gonna find that person. They'll just stay single forever. And I know that feeling. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give them peace. You would give them their sh- your shalom. Remind them, Lord, that you are in control of all things. And there are some people that are in relationships and they're just really struggling, wondering if maybe this is the wrong relationship because we're running into so many issues. Um, maybe people are married and they're running into issues. But Lord, we pray that you give us direction tonight. Reorient our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, according to Pew Research, Americans are staying single longer. The median age at first marriage had reached its highest point on record, 30 years for men and 28 years for women in 2018, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Now, I hear that statistic and I go, why is that happening? Why is it that people are staying single longer, especially because it seems like we have more access to more people than anyone else has in, in, in human history ever, right? 
you can communicate with literally millions of people at any point in time. Maybe in person, if you're living in a busy city, or maybe on the internet. So we have more access to more people, we have more options, and yet it seems like people are staying single longer. Why is that? Well, I think it might be perhaps due to the overload of choices. And it's whether you go to a supermarket and there's 30 brands of ketchup and you're overwhelmed by how many choices you have. Or when it comes to college and there's so many choices as far as uh, what university you could go to or career path and you're overwhelmed and it's just too many options and therefore it's hard to make any decision. But maybe beyond that, maybe beyond the fact that we just have so many choices, because some of you are just like, there's definitely not a lot of choices, right? Like there's not a lot of options out there. Here's, here's something else that's interesting. According to an article I found in the New Atlantis, uh, a Clark University psychologist, Jeffrey Jensen Arnett, was surveying late adolescents and college students about their views on adulthood. And so interviewing them, they were saying, what are the items deemed most necessary to adulthood? And they said that it was accepting responsibility for the consequences of your actions. That's what makes you an adult, right? If you're, if you're just accepting responsibility. They said uh, another trait would be deciding on personal beliefs and values independently of parents or other influences. So being your own person. Another thing that makes you an adult is becoming less self-oriented, developing greater consideration for others. And lastly, the last trait they said is being financially independent from your parents. So basically what they were saying is to be independent from your parents is what makes you an adult. However, what they didn't talk about is full-time employment, marriage, childbirth, and even finishing one's education. That ranked at the bottom of the survey. So... Arnett takes these findings to point out to the conception amongst young adults that self-sufficiency is the fundamental prerequisite for adulthood. Why am I talking about that? Well, here's, here's something in our culture that I want to point out, and you, you just assess for yourself whether or not you think this is true. I think that in our culture, people are worshiping independence. They want to be their own person, right? Because of that, it seems like they want to find their own goal path, right? They want to find the career that defines them. They want to make a lot of money. And what seems like impediments are things like commitment to another person's life, marriage, children. Those kinds of things will slow somebody down because you don't know. How will you be able to work a full-time job if you have to take care of your kids? How are you going to be able to pursue your dreams and your hopes if you're tied down to a person where they're going to want to buy a house and you don't want to buy a house. You want to travel the world and you want to do whatever it is that you want to do. So our culture largely, I believe, worships independence. And your worst nightmare is being committed to someone who disagrees with your view of the world, right? And your hopes and your dreams. So because of that, we're, we're forever fearful that the person that we choose or we commit to will slow us down. Or maybe you're going to uncover the fact that they secretly hate your career choice or whatever it is that you want to do. And so because of that, we're forever pushing off these responsibilities that God has given us, these beautiful things like marriage and children and, and all these other things. And maybe perhaps missing out on God's calling on your life. Unfortunately, 
some people don't have the choice of whether or not they're gonna have, you know, like, well, throughout human history, largely people didn't have a choice on who they're gonna marry, right? It was just chosen for you. And largely people didn't have a choice on how many kids they were gonna have. It just happened and they just moved on, right? And even today, some people have un unplanned pregnancies. And when they do, they just get through it. Their lives are not over. And in fact, it becomes this beautiful thing. So, so many people are fearful that these things are gonna ruin their lives. And that's why there's a lot of, unfortunately, absent fathers from homes. They wanna stay children. Having children, even unexpected, forces you to be an adult because you have to take care of other human lives. But there are many fathers that walk out saying they want to choose their independence. They wanna choose their hopes, their dreams. And because of that, many, many children, and some of you may be those children, grow up without dads in the home because they were selfish and they chose independence over selflessness. But what I wanna to say to you tonight is this, the American dream, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not the gospel. Sorry to break it to you, but this is, it's not a Bible verse. That every American would have access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a good thing, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came into a broken world and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. All of us broke this world. We all make mistakes. And because of that, someone had to pay. And it would have been you or me. And Jesus says, I'm gonna take the payment for your sins so that you believe on me and you'll have eternal life. And eternal life is not just something that happens to you when you die. It's not just, as my youth pastor used to say, it's not just days added to your life, it's life added to your days. That eternal life can begin today because Jesus didn't just save us by his death, he saved us by his life, which means that his life can be imparted to you today. His life filled with peace and with joy and love and a calling and a purpose you can enter into that kind of life today, which is much better than a life filled with, you know, liberty, do whatever you want. Life pursuing happiness, which is based on happenings, constantly pushing off the fear of death and the fear of loss. Instead, you know that whatever happens to you, like Paul said, whether I'm in jail or I'm in a palace, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to have that kind of peace that no matter what happens to you, it doesn't have to shake you. So the American gospel is not, uh, the American dream is not the gospel. It's humanism. It's pursuing man at man's own ends. So is it possible that this fight for independence actually is setting us up for difficulty in relationships and the avoidance of commitment? It, being independent is not a bad thing, right? Financially independent, that's good. All those things are great. But independence at the cost of selfless commitments can be dangerous. In fact, here's the commitment that God wants all of us to have. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear or drink, or eat. Don't worry about those things. All, all the people that don't believe in God worry about those things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added unto you. You don't think your heavenly father cares about you? Like, look at the birds of the air. Jesus is just saying figuratively. Look at the birds of the air. Like, they're awesome. They're fine. They don't worry about what to eat every single day. You look at the flowers, they're beautiful. And don't worry about what am I gonna wear tomorrow? And your heavenly father takes care of both those things. He created both of those things. And he created you. 
You think he's just going to abandon you? And you're like, oh, no, I mean, I just don't know what to do with this, this person. I don't know if I wanted to take care of this person. He is your heavenly father, and therefore he will take care of you. But he asks of you to seek first his kingdom. So we have two goals for tonight in our conversation. Number one, we want to talk about properly seeking God's will and seeking a spouse. And number two, finding fulfillment in dying to self versus living for self. So number one, properly seeking God's will and seeking a spouse. And number two, finding fulfillment in dying to self versus living for self. So let's talk about number one, seeking God's will and seeking a spouse. In other words, instead of asking yourself, what do you want to do with your life? Ask yourself, what does God want to do with your life? Have you ever ever asked that question? Like the French existentialists would say that you don't have a purpose, you know, when you're born. You're just born with kind of a blank slate and you can be wherever you want to be. That's kind of the thing is like, man is free. You can do literally whatever you want to do. But that is kind of like terrifying, isn't it? You can do whatever you want. I don't know what I want to do. But what if, what if there is an artist who designed you for a purpose and has embedded in you giftings, purposes that this artist has has made you for. And that's what the Bible says. He has created us in Christ Jesus for good works that you would walk in them. You're God's masterpiece. Like you, it's not, not just the fact that you can be wherever you want to be because God as the creator designer has built in you passions and desires and hopes and gifts that you can cultivate for his glory. So that's actually the most freeing thing that you don't have to just wonder and, and just figure it out and try a billion things. You can seek God's will and he will show you uh, your purpose and your function. So let's talk about this question. Does God have one person in mind for you to marry? This is the age old question, isn't it? Um, in the Bible, you see a number of different things that seems to lead in this direction. Number one is you see Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. You have uh, Isaac who is, um, you know, Jacob wanted his son Isaac to marry someone who is going to be, uh, not Jacob, Abraham, wanted Isaac to marry someone who is going to be, you know, not in a cult or not in some other religion, but someone who is going to be able to respect and follow his God. And so send a servant to go find a, a bride for Isaac. And so this servant just basically says, oh Lord, give me good success. Help me to find the bride for, you know, my master. And, and so as he's praying this, he says, I, I'm going to pray that when I bring my camels over to this one particular place, that the woman who says, hey, maybe I can give your camels a drink too. You know, that, let that be the person that is supposed to marry my master. And it's like a really bizarre thing. But basically in those days, in order to draw water, you had a well and people did it by hand. There was no machinery. And so a camel could drink 25 gallons. That's a lot of water. So basically what he was saying is, I'm gonna ask for extreme, crazy, outlandish request so that a person's not just generous saying, hey, do you, do you want me to give you some water? But be like, hey, I'm gonna give your camel some water too, even though it's 25 gallons. So he was just asking for this outlandish request. He goes and this woman named Rebecca does the exact thing, says the exact same thing that he prayed for. And he goes, this is the person that's supposed to marry Isaac. This is amazing. And then they get married and live happily ever after. 
So it seems like God had a specific person for Isaac to marry who was Rebecca in that instance. And so, I mean, there's probably a couple instances in the Bible. Another one is Mary and Joseph, right? An angel appears to Joseph and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph goes, I guess I'm supposed to, God's calling me to marry Mary. So I'm going to go do that. Um, But this thinking can make a lot of Christians really weird. And maybe you know some of those people, right? I remember a purity conference back in the day where the speaker was saying, when you feel like God is calling you to marry someone, make sure you have a Bible verse that clearly tells you to marry that person. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And then so he goes, me and my wife, we have a Bible verse. You know, we, we broke up for, you know, a year or not a year. We broke up for a couple months. And while we were away, we were both reading the Bible. And then we read this one verse that said, finish the work you began one year ago you know, which has nothing to do with their relationship or anything. And they go, one year ago, we started dating. It must mean that we're supposed to get married. And then they got married. And apparently they're doing okay. So, (laughs) but, and some of you were probably at that purity conference, but I thought that was the most bizarre thing. I won't name any names. It's just weird. And some people talk like that. Like God spoke to me in a vision. I remember this one Bible college student. Oh my goodness. Like this was eight years ago. So no one will know this person, but I'm doing like this outreach in New York city. And this guy from Bible college is like, like I'm leading a team of Bible college students. I don't know. I'm helping out Andy Dean, who is director of the Bible college. And in this, like we're all, we're all in the subway and I'm just trying to like break the ice and talk to people, you know? And this one kid I'm talking to, I'm like, hey, so like, what's your story? How did you know God wanted you to go to Bible college? And he says, God spoke to me audibly and I knew I was supposed to go to Bible college. And I was like, wait, what? It's like, yes, he spoke to me in a voice. I heard the voice and it said, go to Bible college. And therefore I'm at Bible college. <laughs> like, you guys are weird. I don't, I don't want to be like you. So some people are like that. And listen, if you're like that, God bless you. Don't go to my church, just kidding. <laughs> um, but ev- okay, but here's the thing. Here's what I can appreciate about that. Everybody wants this amazing, mystical, romantic story. Isn't it true? That there's something deep down inside of us that wants something really cool so that we can tell other people like, yeah, you know, I didn't know if I was supposed to marry this person, but then like I looked into the clouds and it says, you need to marry Jessica. And I was like, yes, I knew it. And this is how we know that we're destined to be together forever. Um, But I think that this thinking typically leads people to be, lazy when it comes to relationships. Like they're just waiting for God to just open up the skies and then drop a person down, you know? Or like Adam, he's just like, just go to sleep and I'll just pull out your rib and then there she'll appear, you know? So, but are you taking this time and using it wisely? Are you honing your gifts, building your character? Are you pursuing God? Because I, there's a lot of things in the Bible about seeking God's will. Most of them have nothing to do with a spouse Instead, what you see is finding God's will is found in obeying his commands and prayerfully walking his path. So here's here's two verses. Number one, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Essentially like you read the Bible and the Bible will show you, illuminate the path so you can keep on walking. Maybe you don't see everything all at once, but reading the Bible shows you your next steps. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. This is one of really popular like Hobby Lobby verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So he'll show you where to go, but you gotta first like not follow your intuitions. You gotta not lean on your understanding, which means not just follow your heart, right? But he will direct your paths if you acknowledge him. So let's kind of take it away from the marriage thing for a second. Just think about what it means to be called by God and to follow God. The disciples were all called by Jesus to to follow him, right? When he called 12 disciples, but they didn't know their role immediately. They had no idea what they were gonna do post-resurrection. They were just following him. Jesus says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they did it. So the doctrine of soulmates can be dangerous for two reasons. Number one, following the doctrine of soulmates that you have this one person that God has for you to marry and it's just gonna plop out of the sky and there it is, right? Number one, it can lead people to blame God when things get difficult. Number two, it can make people ignore warning signs when things go bad. So number one, it may lead people to blame God when things get difficult. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, uh, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, talks about how he'll counsel people all the time in marriages and they'll say things like, love shouldn't be this hard. It should just come naturally. And so it just causes them to question if we're hitting these hurdles, maybe we're never meant to be married in the first place. And then he'll respond by saying, well, imagine saying that about anything else in life. Like, you know, baseball shouldn't be this hard. It should just come naturally. Or writing a novel should not be this difficult. Like I, I'm having such trouble like writing the, you know, this character and his description and, and I'm just having such a hard time. It, just, it should just come naturally. Um, but he quotes this, this one author um, or Duke University ethics professor, Stanley Hauerwas. And I, it's a long quote, but just bear with me. It's really good. So he says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there's someone just right for us to marry. And if we look close enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Marriage is hard work. It's gonna be difficult. And finding God's will and making a wise choice will not exempt you from that. So you may find the one that God has for you to marry, but that doesn't mean that it's gonna be seamless and natural. You'll never run into any difficulties. And I'll hear couples say, we've never argued before, as if that's a good thing. Conflict is a healthy thing, especially between two very different people, right? I have best friends that I disagree with all the time, right? It's natural and it's healthy. You don't wanna find a person who's just basically a copy of you. And, And some of you may be thinking like, wait, if we haven't argued at all in our dating relationship, does that mean that we're doing something wrong? No. Like, I don't think you should, in dating relationships, have that many arguments. But in marriage, you're going to butt heads. There are gonna be times that you have disagreements and that is natural because the beautiful thing is that marriage is a powerful tool of sanctification. 
that God wants to shape you and mold you into the person that he wants you to be. And listen, nothing like marriage can shape you to that person because it's only in marriage that someone both tells you the truth about yourself and affirms you unconditionally. I'm not going to leave you, but let me tell you about like the fact that you leave your socks on the floor is like really annoying. But that doesn't mean like, wait, they said something about my socks. Does this mean that it's all over? You know, like you don't have to worry because you've made that commitment. And especially in a Christian marriage, you said, till death do us part. We're not leaving each other. Even when I don't feel in love, we're going to work towards this thing because by doing this, we believe that we're building each other up. So it's a beautiful thing, but it is difficult. It's going to be hard. So I'm going to be realistic with you. If you're hoping to get married, just know it's going to be difficult because God wants you to deny yourself, to be self-sacrificial. You're living for somebody else. The two become one. It's not like you have your schedule and she has her schedule and you're going to see where they align. And like, okay, you have your hopes and dreams. I have mine. So we'll see how they coordinate. And we just, they line up perfectly. This is great. You become one flesh. You make decisions together. And because of that, there will be things that you have to lay down and not do as, as much anymore. Especially if you got kids like we do, right? Like my mornings look different. My afternoons, everything about my life looks different because I have little kids, little humans. They're just walking around saying like, I want a snack now. Like snack time is all the time, 24 seven. I had a conversation this morning, Jenna knows. I told him, I was like, all right, I am declaring that you will have three meals a day and one snack in between. The end. There's not going to be this, like they do all the time, like one bowl of cereal, they're done. Okay, now the next person wants cereal. And then after that, I want another bowl of cereal. Now can I have a snack? Okay, it's lunchtime. And I'm like, what do we do? All I do is feed you all day long. (laughs) This is madness, right? But I am denying myself for a period of time in order to love them but I don't love them that much. I'm not going to have forever, you know, forever food. I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, what was this? I was saying? It can cause us to blame God when things get difficult because you felt like, well, God called me into this. Well, maybe I was wrong about God or maybe God was deceiving me or maybe I don't even believe in God. Maybe I was just wrong about the whole thing. Or number two, it can lead us to ignore warning signs when things go bad. So, Because it's God, God confirmed it. We have our special Bible verse or we have our special number. We have our special thing. We have this sign that it must be God. And even though everything looks to the contrary that it's God, I'm gonna believe by faith that this is just a trial. We'll get through it. Our marriage is gonna last or our relationship is gonna last. But not all hurdles and challenges in a relationship are typical of a healthy or right relationship. And that's why it's important to have a godly community to help you discern that. And listen to your friends. Listen to godly mentors in your life. People that are in the word of God. When they say like, that's crazy. You should not do, no, definitely not. Uh, This is definitely the time where you should be very concerned about this relationship. Listen to those people instead of saying, I know what God told me. So I'm just gonna keep on going, right? That's not to say that like every single critic, you should be terrified, right? People are always saying nasty things. Like, oh, I shouldn't say this. Should I say this? I had somebody try to stop my wedding. I did. It was a crazy person, but they did. It was absolutely nuts. I'll tell you that story another time. But anyway, (laughs) continuing on. If you're that person, you're listening to the podcast, you should believe on Jesus. (laughs) And we can lead you through a prayer right now. Okay, so anyway, 
Sweaty now. Dating is the time to be critical of a relationship is what I'm saying. And it should be obvious that there are such things as toxic relationships, abusive relationships. And sometimes you need someone to tell you the truth that what you're in is not healthy. It doesn't mean that all arguments or all people being selfish is necessarily being abusive or toxic, but it could be. And you want to be very careful if you're always arguing in a dating relationship or you're always having serious conversations every time you go out, every time you talk, it's always gotta be something serious. We always have to, you're, everybody's crying all the time. You should be concerned, right? It doesn't mean it's over, but you should be concerned and you should seek help. So don't ignore the warning signs just because you feel like God has called you to this person and it's all over. Now, that being said, I wanna make it clear. I do believe that God calls specific people in marriage. Some people don't. I didn't until I got married. But I do believe that it's the case that God does bring people together. So the Bible says, right? Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I think that God joins people and leads people to each other. And here, here's a really ex easy example. Everyone knows like you all have a calling, right? God calls you to do specific things. So like Pastor Lloyd started Calvary Chapel Ulrich. Do we believe that he could have, like he was supposed to be um, a chemist. So he went to school for chemistry. Do we believe that God had no opinion about what job he took? And if he chose to be a chemist, God had been like, totally fine. You know, I had no plans for you other than that. I have no opinions about those things. No, I believe that God really did call Lloyd Pulley and Karen to Oldbridge, New Jersey to start this church. So why would God have specific callings on people's lives and have no opinion about who you spend that calling with, right? Do we believe that Lloyd could have married anybody and it could have been anybody who also helped him start the church, you know, 35 years ago? I believe that God called Lloyd and Karen together. Now, that being the case, um, I don't think that it's our main project to discern and divine God's will and then assess the person. I think that we should look biblically first. What does the written word of God say? What are, what are the different things that the Bible says about two people coming together and then looking at those attributes and then being prayerful about it and giving God veto powder over it. So you're looking at, at the different things the Bible says about people being together and saying, okay, it seems like we're following all the right things. Okay, now let me pray about, Lord, at the end of the day, it seems like the right person, everything feels right, but I just wanna let, let you have veto power over my life to tell me if I'm doing something wrong. I think that's healthy. So just in the same way that I felt like I'm called to be a pastor, but that doesn't mean that it's hard or that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's difficult sometimes. And I have doubts sometimes. Maybe I'm not really called to do this. Everybody has that, right? But instead of waiting for God to give a sign, we need to focus on character building and following Jesus wherever that leads. And when that opportunity comes for a relationship, assess biblically and choose wisely. So if it violates God's written word, he won't give you special revelation that contradicts it, right? So what does that mean, assess biblically? What does the Bible actually say? It's really actually pretty simple what the Bible says about the person that you marry. It really has only one constraint as opposed to like being a Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, which they tell you a billion things about like what you need to do in, in, in finding a spouse. Here's the guideline for the Christian and most people don't, well, a lot of people don't like it, but... Here's the guideline. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. The Bible says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? 
Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Unequally yoked. So that's a biblical term in those days because they were farmers. You would have uh, oxen with a giant wooden yoke on its back and it would pull different things, different crops and stuff, you know, uh, a wagon with different crops and, and be able to till the farm and, and whatever. Um, so you would have two oxen to one yoke, right, on each side. You can have different strengths of oxen still pulling that same load, but what you couldn't have is two of different kinds of animals. You couldn't have an oxen and a rabbit, right? Because one will be pulling all the weight and the other one will not. So what the Bible is saying is, do not marry a person who is not a believer in Jesus. And you see this all throughout the scripture of people like Solomon, the wisest person on, on the planet, or Samson, the strongest person on the planet, and they both wound up stumbling because they were married to someone who was not a believer. Um, I like what Pastor Alistair Begg says about unequally yoked relationships. He says this, to be unequally yoked means to be lacking true intimacy in anything that really matters. And here's why. So for me, because I've had people ask this in the past, and here's the worst response. I'm not allowed to date anybody who's not a believer. That's, like, that's just really sad. Don't, say, don't ever say it that way. It's embarrassing. Um, but here's what I say, because this, this was always my real conviction. If I say that God is the most important thing in my life, how can I ever marry someone who believes that the most important person in my life isn't even real? How can I tell, like, hey, we're going to move to Africa because I feel God's calling me to move to Africa, but I don't even believe in God. I believe that you're like talking to an imaginary person. How do I do that, right? So, and, and some people say, well, they're, at least they're Muslim. They believe in a God. How do, you, how do you raise children like that? This is a very difficult thing. Most people don't think about that because they get married and then they're like, I'll talk about it later when we have kids, you know, down the road in 10 years or whatever. It is a very difficult thing to raise children with two completely different worldviews. And that's something to talk about. That's actually a main cause for people separating in relationships because it's that meaningful to people. So that's all I'm saying is um, be very careful because even, even some people claim to be a Christian and they're not Christian, right? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says that some people act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. So even the Bible's talking about like, listen, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people that walk the walk and talk the talk and they seem like Prince Charming and they come in and they completely deceive people who otherwise would be godly people because they have the appearance of godliness, but they don't actually live it. So be very careful. And one of the ways that you can tell is having good Christian friends, good godly community, mentors in your life, gradient. This is why we're here to help you. And there's nothing like, I mean, it's so helpful to have somebody who attends church, serves in church, you see the life inside and out, and then people can vouch for him. It's not just this random person that you met online, nothing wrong with that, but random person online that nobody else knows, but you have a community, a godly community that can vouch for a person. It's amazing. And it gives us immense amounts of comfort because then we're able to say like, all right, this person isn't just making it up, but they've lived it. Like 
My church knows their family, has known them since they were little. They were in Sunday school. We know this person. He's not hiding this crazy sin somewhere and I'm going to find out in five years, right? So it is immensely helpful to have people within church, a godly community that they, they're known and they serve and they can be vouched for and, um, you know, you can consider them. But, okay, let me, let me just take a step back because I'm probably offending a couple of people. If you're a new believer, you're new to the church, that's great. You're welcome here and we're, we're happy that you're here. And just because you may not have a history of being a Christian or you might have things that you're embarrassed about, you're hiding, please know there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We're not here to, to judge people and we're glad that you're here and you're gonna grow. And that's why I'm saying um, for people that are here and you're new or, or you've been here forever, this is why we exist to know each other and to gain community. So my encouragement to you if you're new is don't just sit in the teachings, but really get involved in the home groups, get involved in Christian community, because that's really not just be able to meet somebody, but it would give you an opportunity to really be able to serve others and to be served by others. Okay, so assess biblically. That's really the biblical constraint. Number two, let's talk about choosing wisely. And then we're gonna wrap this up. Choosing wisely. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So we've talked about that a couple times already, but there's a Bible verse to back it up. There is safety in the multitude of counselors. Now, what that does not mean is shopping for advice. So you have a couple people who told you what well, you don't want to hear, and you're like, well, let me go some, like, ask some godly people that don't know the situation, and they're going to tell me exactly what I want to hear. Like, people do that. And sometimes you know, like, you avoid the person who's going to tell you the truth because you know what they're going to say, but you just don't want to hear it. So then you go find the other people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Don't do that. Have people, like, if you are about to spend the rest of your life with somebody else, wouldn't you want to know everything? Don't you want to have no blind spots? It's good, like, to go into a marriage, go into uh, a dating relationship and asking the hard questions. At the same time, don't live in fear. Don't be so, like, terrified that you're going to enter into a relationship and hearts are going to be broken and how are you going to stay in the same church? And just don't do that because... We are Christians who believe in Jesus and our ultimate hope is not in a relationship. It's in Jesus. So here, here's a great quote by uh, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor I've quoted a couple times. He says, as followers of Jesus, male and female, we are called to live by faith. That means we can risk. We live in a world where the tomb is empty and anything is possible. The gospel gives us freedom to fail, whether we succeed or not, whether the business venture works out or not. Whether she says yes or he doesn't return your call, it doesn't matter. Our self-worth doesn't come from any of that, which means we are free to risk, to fail, and to get back up and try again. So yes, ask the girl out. What's the worst that can happen? Stop being afraid. Why not? But so many people, they're just locked in fear because they're terrified of what that'll say about them if they try and they're rejected. Listen, I know I was rejected a billion times. It's true. I don't know why. I'm sure some of you know why. Maybe the one time that I sent a piece of hand to someone in Michigan in the mail. Anyway, some of you know that story. I do know why I failed many times. But anyway, <laughs> but speaking as a person who was single up until I was 29, which is true, um, 
I know what it's like to be rejected, right? And I know that feeling that many of you feel of just like, oh, will I ever find the person, right? And now I'm happily married. And I tell you, wow, it's worth the wait. And I, I would totally do it all over again if I knew the plans that God had for me, but I didn't live in faith many times because I was just like, maybe this is never gonna happen, right? And some of you feel that way. But when your hope is in Jesus, then you're saying no matter what happens in the future, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. But many people, they don't take any action because they're afraid of what people think. And the fear of man is a snare. Instead, remember like God is really not trying to hide your spouse. He's really not. He's not really saying like, oh, you sinned again? All right, that's gonna be four more years of singleness. Like, sometimes you think that way. Like, God, I'll read my Bible every day. I'm so sorry, please. Um, you have to remember, God loves to bless marriages. How do we know that? Because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is the institution God has created to fortify uh, the family. And it's, it's evidence of his unconditional love. So yes, he loves to bless marriages. He's not trying to just keep people single forever. Um, but that leads us to our, our last and second final point. Um, to find fulfillment in dying to self versus living for self. Find fulfillment in dying to self versus living for self. Here you can turn to Ephesians chapter five and we're gonna read the passage. I think we talked about it last week too, but... Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through uh, 33. Paul the apostle talks about marriage in Ephesians and he gives specific instructions. He says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so right there, those words are kind of triggering, right? Like, but this is the Bible, okay? So if this is not my opinion. This is what God's word says. And some people get confused on what this means. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord? What does that mean, right? So like, the guy can just do whatever he wants. And I just, oh, I have to submit. I just have to do whatever he says. No, no, no. No, this is not, not what it's talking about. And also remember, the husbands have a longer paragraph right here in verses 25 to 33. But let's talk about the women first. So what the Bible says is contrary to culture. It's not about finding yourself, living for yourself, and find the person who's going to compliment whatever you want to do. Instead, it talks about submission. It says that husbands are to take the lead and women are supposed to fight the urge to take control and instead respect their husbands and say, all right, God is calling my husband to be the leader of the house, which doesn't make him better. It just means that someone has to take the lead. There's never been a leaderless society, number one, right? Number two, think about a dance, two people dancing. Um, someone has to take the lead. It doesn't make them better. It's just a different role. And so God's design is yes, Male and female are different biologically, but also by God's design, they have different roles. It's not just the case that the only difference between male and female is sexual organs and the fact that women can have babies. 
right? There's other distinctions. Now, the difficulty is our culture can try to assume what some of those distinctions are that are not biblical or God's design. So say, all right, men are gonna love, you know, barbecue and guns and all that stuff, you know, and women can't like those things, you know? And then you're just like, that's, that's a very strange way to define male and female, right? Um, but just because there are some people that take these weird cultural adaptations and assume that these are only, you know, guy things and girl things, does not mean that there's no distinctions whatsoever, no distinction in role. So both are equal, but they do have different roles. And the husband is to take the lead and to model Christ in that lead, right? And the women are supposed to uh, submit and to respect and to follow, to be that helpmate as Adam and Eve were in the garden. So look at um, verse 25. So let's, let's just jump to what husbands are supposed to do. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his, of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular lo so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, okay, <laughs> if, in case you, you didn't miss it, Husbands are supposed to be basically Jesus. Like that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Like that is the highest order. But we're called to be as Jesus loved the church to love their wives. So here's the thing. And you see that in the last verse, the two different roles, wives are supposed to respect their husbands. Husbands are supposed to love wives because naturally it seems mostly to be the case. Women are very good at loving. It just comes naturally, especially nurturing children. But they just naturally can show love and affection to others. Husbands have a little bit of a hard time being loving naturally. You might think that sometimes they don't have a clue how to love you, right? It just seems like they don't even care about you. But even for the husband, there, there can be a difficulty because they naturally show honor to each other, right? Like we're bros, totally got you, totally don't want to disrespect you. I'm proud of you. They got that down, Pat. Not good at loving, but women may have a harder time respecting their husbands. Feeling like, when are you gonna get a job? When are you gonna figure your life out, right? And then you're just totally offended. Just like, who does she think she is? Of course I have my life out. I told her that I was gonna be a gamer. I was gonna make a lot of money. And if I just keep on playing video games, eventually we're gonna be famous, right? Totally got a life plan. What's wrong with her, right? Why does she keep disrespecting me? So that's, you know, there's different books written about this and, and stuff, but that's the challenge is that both of us need to find ways to deny yourself and to put our desires aside and ask ourselves, how can I be most loving to this person that I find myself married to? And so husbands are to model Christ, which means that you're supposed to, 
it says here in the verses, right? Washing of the water by the word, to be leading her in the word. That's your responsibility as a guy, right? It's not her responsibility. And sometimes she's waiting like, when is he going to actually teach, you know, teach us the Bible? When is he actually going to do these things? Lead us in devotion, lead us in prayer. And if you're always asking that question, maybe that guy shouldn't be leading you at all. That's a fact. But the challenge is for, for the guy to present her, verse 27, to Jesus, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, any such thing. Your job is to sanctify her, to protect her, to lead her, to provide for her. That's your job as a man. So if you feel like the guy can't lead, he can't protect and he can't provide, you probably shouldn't marry him. That's a fact. And then for women, it's like, be respectful. That's, that's pretty easy, right? But not so much. Because when you feel like he has no direction in his life, sometimes you want to take that control back and you want to be able to take matters into your own hands. But this is the call for both of us saying, we're going to live our lives in submission ultimately to the Lord. As unto the Lord, right? That's what it says here in the verse. So those are the challenges. But ultimately, we can both agree that whether you're a guy or you're a girl, that all of us are supposed to die to self. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Not for your husband, not for your wife, not for your girlfriend or boyfriend. For my sake, we'll find it. If you want to find life and joy, despite whatever she does or he does, maybe you are married and you're having a difficult time. You can't change them. Listen, I mean, you're never going to win if you just say, um, the Bible says you're supposed to love me. Uh, you're not doing that. Here it is, the Bible, you know. Uh, the Bible says you're supposed to respect me and submit. Um, here it is. So you gotta do it, right? Like, oh, obviously I will submit now, right? Like it doesn't work that way. You can't change the other person. But what you can do is deny yourself. You can submit yourself to the Lord and honor him in what you do and let him do a work in your marriage or your dating relationship or whatever else. So if you wanna find fulfillment, Jesus says, seek your life, you're gonna lose it. Lose your life, you'll find it. Deny yourself is truly the place to find fulfillment. And that's the beauty of marriage. When you can lay down your pride, lay down your hopes, lay down your dreams and say, I'm giving myself to this person every possible way. Yes, sexually. Yes, in terms of life direction. Yes, emotionally. Yes, we're gonna talk about things. Yes, we're gonna give each other space. When you give yourself unconditionally to somebody else, right? Not selfishly. That's truly the way to find fulfillment in your marriage. But the question for many of you single people here today, and this is where I'll close, is, is that person that you're evaluating, considering, is that person that kind of person? A person who can do that thing? Because maybe, maybe none of us can do that, right? We need the Holy Spirit. So most importantly, actually, here's, here's like the flip side. Most importantly, even before you evaluate somebody else, have you evaluated yourself? Have you looked inside your heart and said, Jesus, I'm so focused on like having the perfect person, like basically literally marrying Jesus, right? I looked at the Bible. Yes, you need to be perfect in every possible way. Have, you know, make six, six figures and have a plan for your life and follow Jesus, serve in the church and do all these things. Have you looked at yourself and said like, Lord, search me and know me, see the way, any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Because maybe that's what God is calling you to do today, to prepare you for that person that he has for you. Is to evaluate, let God do the work in your heart and that's truly where you're gonna find the most joy. Let's pray.